This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey. It's the amazing Rico Bronia podcast with your host, Evan Roberts. Well, everybody, we've made it to the final week and a half of this baseball season. The Mets win two out of three against the Oakland Athletics. The Atlanta Braves split four games with the Philadelphia Phillies. And we go into the final full week of baseball in the 2022 season in a spot where we as Met fans are a game up in the loss column, a game and a half. After Monday, we don't have to say that crap anymore, luckily, because the Braves will play that extra game, and then it'll either be a one-game lead or a two-game lead. It's funny. I think going into this series with the A's, and I probably said this on the Rico a few days ago, the thought was, we got to sweep this crappy team. We got to beat the daylights out of this quadruple-A baseball team. There's nobody in the lineup that scares you. You're not facing really good starting pitching, despite the fact that it was three lefties. And we know the Mets issues against lefties this season. But this was one of those series you looked at, especially coming off that loss to Milwaukee, the finale of the three-game series, that listless effort where they got shut out and Drew Smith comes in and gives up a grand slam. I think we all viewed this series as a must-sweep series. So from that standpoint, I think we're all kind of disappointed. And we're mostly disappointed because when you hand Jacob DeGrom a 3-0 lead, we all figured that game was over. I'm not a a supremely confident guy. I don't think as Met fans, it's really in our DNA to ever be that confident. But when they score three runs in the first inning, when Eduardo Escobar hits that home run, and all of a sudden there's a 3-0 baseball game, aren't we all thinking the same damn thing? This game's over. They got no shot against Jacob DeGrom. It was actually Pete Alonso with the home run. I'm getting my home runs confused. (laughs) Mainly because Eduardo Escobar hits a home run every freaking day, basically, which we'll get to on this podcast. We'll get to a lot of things. But, yeah, I mean, overall, it's disappointing. I'm glad that the team was able to bounce back after the DeGrom laying of the egg, if you will, and at least win this series and not even make a sweat on Sunday, on a football Sunday, after the Jets embarrass themselves. But, yeah, I mean, I think it's okay Sunday night, Monday morning to just admit as a Met fan, you know what? I'm not satisfied with two out of three. And most of the time during this season, I would not normally say that. When the Mets would win two out of three, I think the feeling you and I, both you and I, Pete and I had, was they won the series. And that's all you got to do. Just keep winning series. Keep winning series. But now we're at the point of the season where every game feels so damn important. The difference between a one-game lead and a two-game lead against the Braves going into that series next weekend feels monumental. So to have a game in which you hand DeGrom a three-run lead and then it goes away immediately and you end up getting blown out, let's face it, the Mets got their ass kicked in that game, 
I think it's okay as a fan to say, hey, this was a little disappointing. Now, overall, they won four to six on the road. Okay. They have a one-game lead over Atlanta. We know that the worst-case scenario, and this scenario better not happen, but the worst-case scenario is that we go to Atlanta down by a game in the National League East. Like, think about that. That is the absolute worst-case scenario. Now, I'm hopeful that's not going to be the scenario, (laughs) that the Mets are going to take care of business against the Marlins next week, but that is the worst-case scenario. So, look, we'll get in each game. We'll get into Jake because the Jake thing is a little concerning. But overall, I think it's okay to just admit, eh, I'm not fully pleased by winning two out of three against the Oakland A's. Do you agree with that sentiment, Hoff? Yeah, I, I have an issue about the Grom start. Um, when you, we'll dive into it a little bit more, but I think you know what they showed in the Friday and Sunday game. It, it's I'm still very confident this team, but it would have been when I when I saw that it was a three nothing lead because I, I I I put the TV on just after the Grom got on the mound, so I'm like, right. oh, this is this is perfect. This is what you want. Right. And what what transpired after that was just a complete crap show. Yes, and we'll get into that because we can't hide the fact that Jacob deGrom getting bombed the way he did on Saturday at least has to put up some concerns. Let's quickly get through game one, though. Some thoughts on game one, the opener of this series. Chris Bassett was brilliant. I think Chris Bassett has eliminated any worry off his bad start from a few weeks ago against the Chicago Cubs. And what was so great about what Bassett did, and they're going to really need this in October, is that his pitch count was so low he was able to go incredibly deep in this game. And Chris Bassett's been able to go deep in games really all season long. I've always had this feeling, and I've mentioned this before, that there have been a lot of games in which Bassett will throw one more inning than really the average pitcher. That you would see Buck push him just a little bit more, and Bassett would say, let's go. And there were a few games where it didn't work out, but for the most part, I thought Bassett was the kind of arm this season that would always give you that one extra inning. And in the opener of this series, they didn't necessarily need the extra inning because their bullpen has been so insanely well-rested, which we'll address coming up in a little bit. The concern about how well-rested they are, but he was so efficient. He got out of early trouble. He got a quick double play in the fifth inning when he puts the leadoff man on. And he didn't even strike a lot of guys out. Look, the strikeout's nice. When you're playing fantasy, when Hoff's playing fantasy, of course, we want our starting pitchers to strike out as many guys as humanly possible. But let's face it, it's a little overrated. Unless it's bases loaded one out and you need a strikeout, what's the difference if it's a ground ball to second base? What's the difference if it's a weak fly ball to left field? The best part about the non-strikeout is that you can actually get it done in one pitch as opposed to the minimum three pitches. I know that's pretty basic, but it's true. And think about how many times in that game Friday night, and you probably don't have the answer because you're not scoring the game the way I am. So I'll give you the damn answer. How many times Chris Bassett got a guy out without having to even throw three pitches? I can tell you right now. One, two, three, four, five. Six, seven, eight, eight times. It's only a kick, a jump, a block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle, a run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Adidas. 
He got eight guys out. Now think about it. He threw eight innings. So he got 24 outs in this game. Eight of the 24 outs came in a spot in which he threw fewer than three pitches. That's how you go deep in games. That's not a knock on the big-time strikeout pitcher. Obviously, your goal is to strike guys out. You're trying to throw a pitch and not have them hit it, unless you're Greg Maddox and you have a brilliant strategy behind it. But you can be more economical. The best part about that first game, though, actually happened three hours before first pitch. And that was seeing Brandon Nimmo in the lineup because I feared with this quad issue that we weren't going to see Nimmo Friday, Saturday. My prediction or my thought kind of going into the weekend was, okay, it's not end of the world, especially when the MRI came back clean. He's not going to end up missing two weeks. I wasn't ultra negative, but I figured he'd miss a day or two. And the fact he's in the starting lineup right out of the gate and in the top of the first inning, hits a ground ball to shortstop and look fine. Like he's running to first base and it's like, okay, he looks healthy. And then obviously in the second inning, he comes up with a big two run single that really sort of broke the game open because it's one nothing top of the second. Now you never know. Two run single makes it three nothing, gives you a little bit of little bit of breathing room. So seeing Nimmo in the lineup, I thought was a great positive. And then we have Eduardo Escobar. And I'm going to save this for later because Eduardo Escobar is writing a script of one of the great months in Met history. And there are some great months in Met history that jump out at me from guys you forgot ever existed. We'll get to that later on in the Rico Bronia. But Eduardo Escobar, in a month that matters, September, in a pennant race, and coming off a season, a season to this date, in which he had really, really struggled, to which he had become a bench player, he had become a part-time player, and only got his job back because of injury, and now he's, he's one of their best hitters? It really is an incredible script. The other positive from Friday was starting to see Mark Vientos have them drop in for base hits. The bloop RBI single that actually plated the first run of the game wasn't smoked, but still, I think that's important for him. He had a quality at bat a few innings later, drawing a walk, and then he smoked the RBI double. Vientos is auditioning right now because this lineup against left-handed pitching, it's wide open. I mean, I have some ideas. I think we all have some ideas on how they could go about this. But Mark Vientos has an opportunity because the Mets are facing, have been facing, and they'll face one more against Miami and I think one more against Atlanta looking ahead. They're facing lefties. They went through a stretch of games in which they weren't facing a lot of lefties. Now they're facing lefties. And so the opportunity should be there for Mark Vientos. And then he hits his first major league home run on Saturday. He wasn't in the lineup Sunday. And that was, look, here's the way I looked at Vientos not playing Sunday. And I'm only jumping ahead because we're talking about him. He has two hits on Friday, hits a home run on Saturday. There's another lefty on the mat. And it's logical to say, how does Mark Vientos not play? I totally get Buck saying, I need defense in right field. I don't want to play Darren Ruff in right field again. I'm going to play in Tyler Naquin, who actually came through against the lefty. No issue with saying defense matters, okay? Here's the problem, though. Buck Showalter showed us he has zero confidence in Mark Vientos' ability to play the field. Because your alternative, once you feel Naquin has to play right, is that Vientos plays first base on an Alonzo DH day. And I'm just, I'm accepting Alonzo needed a DH day. I'm not going to argue that. It's late in the season. You're keeping his bat in the lineup. He obviously produced in a major way on Sunday. I'm not going to sit here arguing when Pete's basically played all year. This can't be a DH day. Here's what it comes down to. It's very simple. Buck Showalter doesn't trust Mark Vientos to play first base, 
and he trusts Darren Ruff. And that's why Darren Ruff's in the lineup on Sunday and Mark Vientos isn't, even though Vientos is coming off back-to-back games in Oakland against lefties in which he's produced. Do I have a problem with that? Well, in theory, I do. But guess what? I've never seen Mark Vientos play first base. So I guess we could bitch about it, but we'd be bitching about something we have no idea about. And I like to keep my bitching to things I know about. So it's really one of those things where you you shrug your shoulders, you're a little frustrated, and like, eh, maybe I'd like to see Mark Vientos play first base till he makes three errors over there. And he's not. He's not ultra experienced at first base. He's a a natural third baseman. He started playing first base a year ago. I think he started about 27 games this year at first base this year. So it's not a position he's played a lot. But that's what that showed you, that Vientos didn't get a third straight performance. Anyhow, Friday was a nice victory. 